Welcome to On The Block with Richard Stone. Richard is a 40-something construction company owner based in the UK. His passions are technology, business automation, customer experience, and helping other small business owners using his own valuable life and business experience. This podcast will be a mixture of solo spots, casual conversation, as well as inspirational key people of influence from their respective fields. Make yourself comfortable and enjoy listening. Here is your host, Richard Stone. Good morning, Chris. Thank you for joining me on the On The Block podcast. Um, For the people that are listening, me and Chris um, go back approaching, certainly more than 25 years, approaching 30 years, isn't that right, Chris? I'd say getting off of that, back back to our college days, Richard, yeah, very much so, definitely. (laughs) Makes me feel older when I think about it, actually. And um, (laughs) those lovely, glory days in Barnfield in Luton at... um, Building college and nights in the pub afterwards, we had a bit of a crack. Really, it didn't at times it felt a bit sort of tough doing the coursework and the assignments, but we did actually have quite a good laugh, didn't we? So and we and we always made it through to the pub at the end. So yeah, it was all worth <laughs> it in the end. So <laughs> I think it was probably the pub that got us through. To, to definitely, some, definitely. Some days. I seem to remember um, science being a particularly challenging one, um, mentally yeah. and organisation and procedures. I think was probably the other one that was not terribly exciting. But there, there were there were some, I mean, there were some fairly good lessons, fairly exciting. It was all good. It all built a, uh, a picture of what we needed to know. Um, but some lessons were definitely more exciting than others. Let's go straight from the top. So when you were a child, what did you want to do as a job? Uh, when I was a child, I wanted to be a teacher, basically. You wanted to be a so, teacher? Um, oh, my word. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay, what um, subject did you want to teach? I had no idea what subject. I just, at a young age, thought teachers, I think it's because the only people you really know who worked at the time were teachers. My my, my dad, obviously, was a, a builder at the time, so I, I got an idea of that. But you spent most of the time with teachers when you were a child, and I think I just wanted to be a teacher. I like the fact they seem to have long holidays. Um, I know they don't, because <laughs> apparently they are working through them. But, allegedly, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, allegedly. But yeah, I did, did think about uh, being a teacher when I was a child. It didn't last too long. That was, and then as I got older, I got to the point I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and eventually sort of fell this way through family connections. To be honest, so yeah. Okay, that was quite interesting because my dad was a QS, and I think that's probably that and doing then some extensions at home and being sort of self-built kind of sort of lit the yeah. fire in me really from sort of like five years old. So. That's quite interesting that initially you wanted to do one thing, but actually sort of life experience sort of led you to something else. Yeah, well, I say my well, dad was a, a, a tradesman, became a site manager. He was a, a carpenter, and um, I think I spent most of my weekends nailing bits of wood together and sawing bits up with him. So um, it kind of flowed in. that I went into the construction side. Oh, uh, okay. Right, so next question. Favourite famous person? Favourite famous person, right. Probably my favourite famous person at the moment would be Geraint Thomas. Massive, massive fan of road cycling. Uh, Tour de France being obviously the the biggest race in the world for that. And Geraint Thomas, I really like because he just seems to be a general down-to-earth type of bloke who has won the biggest road race on earth. So, yeah, really like it. Yeah, that's no mean feat, that. That's a kind of proper hardcore sport, that is, isn't it? It's a bit like ultra running and what's his face, David yeah. Goggins. Yeah, very much so. 
Yeah, that's quite I, interesting, actually, because that's kind of a mindset thing as, well, as much as a physical thing, isn't incredibly, it? Incredibly. I mean, yeah, you, if you haven't got the ability to sort of, sort of compartmentalise and lock away discomfort and things like that and just keep yourself going, you just can't make it in that sport whatsoever. So it is very much a mind and body sport. Okay. So how much of, how much road cycling do you get to do around your sort of home hometown? Sheffield, isn't it? I live just outside, live in Clifton Village, just outside Shefford. But uh, at the moment, I would probably say I get to do hardly any compared to what I used to do. But I still get in a couple of uh, good hour-long rides a week, which is quite nice, just out in the local countryside. Um, it's quite nice at the moment because there's not much traffic around as well. Challenging out on the roads these days, isn't it? It, it okay, is, so it is. The next question, three things from your bucket list. I could sit here and try and pretend that I've got a bucket list uh, and, and try and come up with three things. But in all honesty, I haven't got a bucket list. What I tend to do is is plan things that I want to do with the family and stuff. I haven't got anything that I'd specifically say that I would want to throw into a, a bucket list um, okay. of, of things I need to get done. So, no, that's cool. I'm really, really sorry about I, that. I haven't, actually. No, that's okay. I haven't, actually. It's something I've been okay. thinking about starting to do while I've got some time right now. Okay, so moving yeah. on from that then. So three things for Room 101. What are three things that you'd like to get rid of permanently? First one now, coronavirus, without any question. <laughs> yeah, I can. I think I think probably most of the world would um, probably probably be in the same position yeah. with you on that. Yeah. Uh, another so one which is very work related is late payments. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think there's certain, certainly anybody that's in the construction industry listening would um, would definitely um, agree with you on that one. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of a third one. No, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to name him. But one of our, our tutors that we had at college, I wouldn't mind throwing in there. I oh, know. Yeah, I know. You mean yeah, we probably <laughs> refrain from naming him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And lastly, if you were, if you could choose a famous person to have dinner with, who would they be? Where would you go? And what would you eat? Right. Um, again, to do with cycling, this one, I think I'd have to choose um, Lance Armstrong. Oh wow! Um, yeah, what a good choice. Yeah, I just think, um, well, he's just a bad boy. Um, he obviously had his reasons for doing what he did. I'd love to be able to sit down and just talk it through with with him and find out exactly why he did what he did within the sport. Coming from a position of recovering from from cancer, enter a sport that is the hardest sport, one of the hardest sports on earth, and just do it the whole time on on drugs. And then to come out mm. several years afterwards and say about it. Um, and if you're going to do it, I'd actually like to do it in, in Texas, his home state. And we go somewhere that does a lovely big steak as well. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> man up, man heart. <laughs> cool. So I okay. hope that gives people a little bit of a flavour of, of um, who you are and what sort of things you like and dislike. So... So your, what is your current role? I mean, I know what your current role is because we we work together. But for the audience, what what is your current role? What are the kind of what's the key things that you sort of undertake on a weekly basis? Yeah, basically my my role. I run a um, as you mentioned before. I run a company called No Harm. It is a um, it's a safety. I'd say a safety related company. It's not a pure safety company. Uh, a lot of what I do is safety. But on the other side, of that, I also do um, consulting in the way for. Site engineering. I was a site engineer on sites for for many years, so I still throw a bit of site engineering in and try and help people resolve complex issues on sites, um, quality management of sites, 
uh, a, a range of safety inspections, ensuring that sites comply with what they they should be doing, working out how to make sites comply because you know, especially at the moment, there's all sorts of things going on um, that that need people to be able to comply on sites. And whether it's actually possible is a, another matter, but um, trying to resolve issues along the lines of, of things at the moment is, is quite challenging. Um, and also, I've got a, a side of the company that does training as well. So anything from NDQs through to safety training on sites. Also, as, as you know, that you're using technology as well, sort of moving into drone technology, um, which is a, a great area of work as well. Drones are certainly fun. They're um, they're not only fun, but they're increasingly valuable pieces of technology um, for lots and, of different reasons. Yeah. And, and as the technology is moving on with them, the, the, what can be done with them is is, is, is fantastic. I mean, anything from uh, thermal surveys now through to very, very detailed mapping and measurement surveys, it's incredible, really. Um, yeah, I mean, the accuracy of them is quite, it's not scary. I mean, it's just phenomenal. I mean, the accuracy that people are getting is like plus or minus about 10 mil these days from a drone survey, which is... Well, you, you get even the same really. thing. If, if you imagine that, you, you, you know, the old-fashioned way of surveying it with a, a a pole survey. So they are incredibly good bits of kit. Um, they have their limitations. It's just working out and working around those limitations and, and understanding what the limitations are before you start doing anything. But uh, yeah, I think yeah. that's the key. Is get somebody who's experienced who knows what they're doing, so they know what those limitations are. I mean, we have it when we get asked to go and like diagnose defects with buildings for like big external projects and people sort of seem to think that, that they're going to be able to sort of like actually physically test whether stuff's actually defective or not and you you sort of have to kind of sort of say to people that we you know we can get we can get up really close we can get really good quality footage that will really help you inform a repair strategy for a, for a building um but it's not the same as physically like poking and prodding but it will give you it will give you a really good steer um, and yep. we find it especially helpful for looking for uh, looking at access routes, you know, getting scaffolds up and over roofs, looking at whether buildings have got external hidden elevations or whether they've got light wells and stuff. And they're also yeah, no, capturing really good quality sort of before and after videos and showing buildings in context to their local surroundings when you're talking to kind of like schools and other sort of like local stakeholders, you know. If you've got a video that you can sort of speed up and slow down to show somebody about how you're going to bring materials onto the job and how it might impact on them. It's a really good tool to be able to communicate effectively what you're going to do with, with with the project while you're on site. So I think depending on what your business is, then they have different uses and different benefits. But I, I can't think really of an industry in construction where there wouldn't be, or a sector within construction, where there wouldn't be massive benefit out of it, even if it's you know, I mean, I've seen small, small, single like decorators who work on their own, and they do an external, and they've taken before and after footage from a drone, and it's it's really powerful. And I mean, you've Absolutely. worked on sort of big, big jobs like the M1, where you know they they do drone surveys every week, and like have like last week's footage compared to this week's at a board level, I mean, like hundred miles away, it, so they can see what the has, progress is, don't they? Exactly, it's, it's changed it completely as well. I mean, um, now with the use of drones, going back, I think. 2012 time I was doing a project on the M1 and at that point to get a survey done a fly-by survey you had to get a helicopter with a lidar on it so you had to book a mm. helicopter space and they'd fly the, and, and do it that way 
if you can imagine the expense in having a helicopter fly a job to do a survey compared to now, pick a I section. Don't think. What would that? What I mean, I don't know whether you'd know, but what sort of what would the cost of that be? To I honestly don't know what the cost of that that would be. Um, I never actually had to do the bookings or anything like that on that, but that would have been an incredible cost. To I mean, not only that, but just booking the airspace over a busy road as well to actually fly that helicopter. Yeah, do you know, I'm I'm going to find out actually because that's quite a useful piece of information because my father-in-law does a, he's an agricultural contractor who does ditching and stuff for the river board and different people like that and he does construction right. site stuff and he runs like a fleet of 360 excavators <clears throat> as well as plant and tower cranes and stuff and um, one of his clients actually um, owns a big huge or I think he owns two or three farms um, but his helicopter com- um, consultancy so they actually rent out their um, helicopters with a pilot to go and fly like the fuel lines and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I might I might have a chat with them and find out um, find out what the cost would be for that. Just have just from a point of point of interest, really, to sort of yeah. know what their cost saving is for using the drone. Because just for my own benefit, really, not necessarily for. I, I think the difference on the pipe line ones for example is that the length of pipeline that can be surveyed at one time with a flyby is only achievable with helicopters at the moment yeah i um, think it's like a lot of these things technology moves on doesn't it and you know what, it does and it will move on today will move yeah. will move and in three years time i mean 15 20 years ago i remember like physically walking around the outside of the building and i'll never forget it took us three days to measure the outside of this building it's quite a big block yeah it's three days. Now, we can literally either send someone to site or you can go and fly a job for us or we can pay somebody to go and film it. We've got that footage sitting at a desk in the office and we can estimate from it. Exactly. Yeah, very much the so. The quality yeah. of the footage is enough. I mean, the two biggest things for us really is the quantity and the condition. Well, the quality of footage, I mean, I've got a Mavic Pro 2 and the footage off of that is good enough quality that I can look at the condition of joinery an external parts of a building and know what know what how much I need to adjust my rates accordingly for the amount of prep that's required. So well, it, it just makes life so much easier and quicker. Absolutely, and it just shows you, doesn't it, how much the technology has improved over a very short period of time for the quality of the image you get from such a small camera mounted on a, a flying machine. Oh, no, it's, it's no. just, I, I find it staggering, actually. I mean, I was talking to somebody from Copters the other day and about different le- different lenses and stuff, and it's, it's scary, the, the the quality of footage you can get these days. I just, yeah. I just find it phenomenal. And actually, you know, you wouldn't believe it, but even down to as much as sort of the, the, the Mavic, was it Mavic Pro you said you got? Yeah. They will use that. Drone. I mean, I know someone who uses one of those to film stuff for things like um, country file. It's no different to that drone. That is what they use. You know. Oh really? There yeah. are there are drones like with much better cameras file. on them as well. But you, you, mm. there's things that are filmed for things like country file on, on on just the small drones. It's incredible. The, um, yeah, it's the, not the Sunday. Now. If we don't watch country file. <laughs> no, you got to watch it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll be watching. I didn't know that. I must admit, I'll be checking it out now. I'll be checking out the drone footage. I must admit. To be honest, Especially I, when I they do fly over Adam's farm in Wales. I'm a nightmare now because I'll sit there whenever watching a film, a program, whatever, and I'll turn around to uh, my wife and say, "Oh, that bit's been filmed by drone," and she'll be like, oh, "God." 
Is that not a bit like when you get a new car and it's maybe like a different model or a different brand and you just see loads of them on the road? You know, like you do, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. It, sort of, it just brings it to the forefront of your mind, doesn't it? It I'd does. Be lying if yeah. I could tell you what the front of your mind is called, but um, so that's all things drone. So yeah. let's move on to something more relevant to today, as we both sit here in our relative offices, probably what yeah. twelve miles apart, and neither of us are allowed to go about out. That. Yeah. Which feels a bit weird. So, how are you kind of how are you how are you coping with that, and how are you feeling about the whole sort of social distancing thing? I'm, I'm coping all right at the moment. Obviously, workflow has uh, imagine uh, along with majority of the country is is sort of halt, not halted fully yet, but it is on its way to uh, dissipating a lot. Um, coping all right. Got got. Wife's working from home. The two kids are off, obviously off from school and they're at home. Um, a bit of a logistical nightmare to start off with, making sure we all had enough workspaces to work all together, which is now all sorted and resolved. Um, just seeing what we can do now to try and boost the Wi-Fi to, for when we all want to be using it at once. But uh, I think we're, all, we're, we're getting there. Um, I think that's quite a common challenge, isn't it? Making sure that you've yeah. got enough bandwidth for everybody to be doing what they need to be doing. Yes. I mean, most of the time, it's actually fine, but there's just odd moments when we all want to be doing something that, you know, kids want to be doing something that requires them to watch a video at the time or um, and, and things like that. It's just, just there are occasions where it, it, it isn't enough to cope. Um, when you say watch a video, I take it that doesn't mean on the Xbox. No, it's an educational video. I'm, you know, I, I, so they tell me. <laughs> how, and how are you finding the whole homeschooling thing? Because I'll, 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 I'll put it out there. We're finding it a real challenge to get the kids motivated to do to do um, sort of schoolwork and stuff. It's, um... the, the, the being alright at the moment. The, I think the biggest issue with the schoolwork is I think you forget as you get older that you find workarounds and quick and easy ways to solve problems and issues that at school they require to do the long hand version oh, of. Yeah. Um, and it's quite difficult to start thinking back in the way that they need to. Be able to do things better. I mean, I'm, I'm actually at the moment. My eldest is doing Animal Farm as his English project, so to help him out, I'm reading it as well. So he's got someone to actually be able to discuss it with. So okay, that's quite a good idea. Try, try and as hard as I can because if they were in a lesson, they'd all have been reading it and be able to discuss the topics within it, which is is almost impossible if no one else has done it with him. So yeah, they can't, quite. can they? They haven't got that. They haven't got other people, and other people with with an age and a mentality and a and a point of view that's probably not dissimilar to theirs. You know, I, I would read a book and read like one conclusion, whereas yeah, whereas the children would read would read it and they, and not, but not just reach a different conclusion or but they would get something totally different out of it as well. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So no, I think that's quite a good idea. Actually, I might have to. Um, I might have to steal that idea. That's quite a, quite a good idea. My youngest one today has just actually had a piano lesson over the video linked with his piano teacher from school. So that's been quite a, a good one. So oh, wow, that's, that's quite a good it. idea. Yeah, yeah. So they, they set it up and we just log in um, and it's all set. So we just set the, the laptop up so that the teacher can see him and the keyboard um, and provide instruction and, and talk to them through the, the laptop. So that, that worked out really well. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So you kind of, you play the piano on the laptop, do you? No, but he's got his, he's got um, a, a keyboard, an actual piano keyboard, but what you do is just set the laptop up next to it so the camera is, is viewing that 
and it's just effectively like a video call. So he can see the uh, teacher, okay. the teacher can see what he's doing, and then, yeah. So, yeah, it worked, worked really well. That's a really yeah. good idea, actually. I must admit, that's, that's, I've, not, I've not thought of doing that. I mean, no, Charlie's, I'm, I'm, Charlie's been having tuition um, with a maths tutor outside of school and doing, yeah. sorry, not maths, doing English um, outside of school. She's so they're now using Zoom um, to to do their to do their lessons, Brilliant. which I think for them is quite good. And and I was saying to my wife about it last night. It's not only that they're getting the educational benefit from that lesson, but they're also getting to use like video software and conferencing software. Exactly, exactly. But they wouldn't get the benefit of all the experience of using. So you know, I think there is. Yes, it's tough. You know, it's tough for lots of people for lots of different reasons, but. I think there was, there are also learning opportunities, to, and not just for children, but also for adults. I mean, the amount of people that are having to sort of work differently and do things yeah. in a different way than they would have done just to kind of have some form of business continuity. I mean, I doubt very much anybody's approaching 100%, but have kind of a no. sort of a bare-bones service. You know, I think a lot of people have learned an awful lot, and that's one of the positives of like this situation is I think, the businesses that do survive will be in a massive place to go forward and Absolutely. leverage some of that learning and be even better yeah. sort of going forward. There's going to be a lot of casualties out of this and there's going to be a lot of companies that ultimately can't can't continue and that's a real shame. And some of the stories we're hearing of people just refusing to pay their supply chains and stuff is just appalling. Exactly, exactly. It's, um, it is appalling. Um, I mean, on the other side of that, I've, I've, I've got one company that are doing a job that I... You know, and they're refusing to stop. So in my safety capacity, I do have to keep going and at least having a look at what they're doing to make sure that they are, as far as possible, trying to maintain things like the social distancing, making sure cleanliness on site is, is being as, as close as it can be to, to perfect. But with all of it, there's always going to be, no matter how many, you know, how much protocols are put in place, if you've got more than a few people on a site, there's going to be interaction and, and points where they are crossing over. You're not going to be able to maintain that separation on these sites at all over a longer yeah. period of time. I don't see how it's, how it's done practically. When you, well, I mean, and I know that's the discussion we had when we talked about me closing down my plan works projects is that if yeah. you can't absolutely guarantee that you're going to be in a position where where actually you're providing a workplace for people to be able to effectively socially distance, then we need to close. And, and that's the decision we took. It's, you yeah. can't guarantee that when somebody's working on a five-board-wide scaffold, that if somebody's working there and somebody needs to walk past, how do you, how do you, what protocol do you put in place for that? You can't. Exactly. I mean, I mean the, the other side of that, even if you did have a situation where you could, say, for example, blocks of flats that you could have you guys use so new new build flats you guys use that staircase you guys use that, that staircase you work in that flat you work in flat, that flat there's no need for you to cross over at all the trouble is it's if you catch virus it gets onto your gloves if you're wearing gloves or your hands if you're not but you should be wearing gloves then as soon as you touch anything else you're just spreading that around through contact and once it's on your gloves unless you literally take that pair of gloves off throw them away wash your hands and then put on a fresh pair of gloves. Each time you touch that pair of gloves, you just put it back on yourself. Mm. So unless people have got enough pair of gloves so every time they take a glove off, they are replacing it and washing their hands in between times, there's you know, it's not doing any good. So no, it's it's, it's a difficult, really difficult it? one. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. why we we reached this decision we did. And, I mean, we were pretty fortunate that the clients that we worked with on our Plan Works projects were really good. We had um, conference Zoom calls with all of them and explained our, like, our position and what we thought and why we're taking action out. And they were all really supportive. Um, so from that point of view, um, we yeah, we were in a, we're in a good position to be able to um, make the right decision for, the, for our guys. And, you know, we've had to furlough our contracts manager and my wife's on furloughed. Um, right now, because yeah. we just, you know, there's not anything for her to be doing. I'm doing like estimating and brand awareness and podcast episodes and stuff, but but I haven't. I'm, you know, I'm probably 30% active, but but we haven't we haven't got any any income coming in because we're not we have no. work being done on site, so we haven't got any actual physical output as a business to be able to invoice. So you know, we're in the same boat as everyone else, but but as business owners and directors, we haven't even got the protection of. Um, Two and a half grand a month from the government, so yeah, exactly. the it's over exactly. for everybody, the better. But I think I, mean, already be, I don't think it's going to be over any time soon until people take it seriously and realise that actually social distancing and not having family barbecues and parties is actually what it means. Yeah, well, I mean, I was listening to something the other day, and effectively, basically, the you know, it cannot survive in the open for very long. The no. coronavirus. Um, it, yes, it can incubate in people, and there's that between five and however many days it does to incubate, then you've got the period that you are infectious when you've got it. But if we were now to literally lock down for two weeks and didn't leave our houses for two weeks, the virus that is out in the open wouldn't be there. Mm. It would die off. Yes, there would be people who have incubated it, but if they then maintain those 14 days or until they are better, isolation it would very much stop it in its tracks this whole being able to move around still and do odd bits and pieces is still effectively keeping it alive out there but if we were able to just completely stop things would change a lot quicker and the more people who do take notice of this and just decide for the you know the two three four week period if we could just slow it right down to only essential people going out we would have a lot of better chance of getting this resolved. But, you know, like you say, people are still deciding. I think it's, it's changed a bit this weekend, but, you know, the weekend before, big gatherings and stuff like that, even though we all knew even back then that it wasn't supposed to happen, people were still doing it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's gradually starting to sort of sink into a lot of people now. But the problem is that also a lot of people, there's a lot of people that were due to get paid on Friday that haven't. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of people get paid on the 30th. I think there's going to be a lot of people are probably, I think some instances, it was almost like a bit of a last hurrah because people were sort of saying, well, we're going into lockdown. We're, you know, we're not going to be able to go out. We're not going to be able to get, we are going to go out. And we I think it was very much so, yeah. And it was, it was that was kind of, thing. you see everyone down at the sea. So it was lovely weather as well. Um, we, we could actually do with a period now of lousy weather. Yeah. That, that would make that a lot of people <laughs> stay at home. <laughs> Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's most definitely, and, and but that's what we need. So, cool. Yeah. So that's pretty much COVID nineteen discussed to certainly <laughs> not perhaps <laughs> to death, but certainly as yeah. far as I want to talk about it today. Um, general safety. What are, what are your thoughts on what you're seeing out on site at the moment? I mean, it's twenty twenty this year. Safety standards out on site are, you, are they pretty good? Do you think across this? I mean, you you look at a whole spectrum of sites, so. I, I I do look at a whole spectrum of sites. I, I look at anything from, and I look at it from different viewpoints as well. I look at I've got 
obviously the bigger tier one contractors, if I've got anybody work on them, it's subcontractors. The tier ones have got enough of their own in-house safety guys to deal with the stuff. It doesn't mean because they're in-house there that you know they're they're any better than anybody else. It's just they've got the people who work for them. I tend to deal with them on those sort of sites with subcontractors, um, and that can be be a battle sometimes because what's expected of the subcontractors and what's then expected from the main contractor sometimes two totally different aspects but yeah. as far as i'm concerned i want the guys on site that are working under my advice and i would not say control but under, under my guidance i want them to be as safe as they possibly can be um so almost like dual standards is that, is that, is that what you're saying there are sometimes kind of... yeah yeah um and what's what's asked for and what's actually then accepted at times can be different as well um but the industry on the whole is is getting safer and safer um there is still a lot of emphasis on paperwork rather than practice which we need to practice should be more important than paperwork i know the trailer paperwork shows that things have been thought about but there seems to be still on some of the sites i go to the paperwork's been filed we'll crack on now and that, that attitude does need to change. People need to understand that what's written in that paperwork is effective for their Bible for working with safety. And if they mm. don't, and they've written it down, that is what will be used to prosecute them and if things go wrong. So it's it's a really complicated yeah. thing, and trying to get that point across is difficult sometimes. Yeah, and I think sometimes, I mean, I, I know from our own projects, it's like, Guys get inducted onto site. They go over their rams and stuff have gone through again to make sure that they're actually going to do what they say they're going to do. But nine times out of ten, even the best subcontractors don't give their guys on site the actual rams. It's like and blokes are like, and I've seen it when I've been on site when the site manager's like inducting someone. They're like, what do you mean we should have a copy of them? That's an office thing. Like, yeah. What do you, yeah. Well, how are you going to do what you do? Well, yeah, but I know how to lay bricks. Or I know how to paint a window. Really? Okay. Yeah. But, Okay, what's the spec for this job then? Oh, I don't know. We're just here to do a job. And it's kind of, I think almost, they almost need to be, rams and, and metal stains need to be as short and simple as possible and almost Absolutely. printed onto like a sort of like a passport to work, like a credit card size sort of thing. And, and even when I see... Just with the key bullet points on. Absolutely. It's when I go into a site sometimes and, and they've got, um, even from the main contractor, and there's a construction phase plan there, and the construction phase plan is 300 pages long, and you think, nobody's going to read that. That doesn't mean anything, that document, if it's not in sections that are easy to read. And then maybe reference folders with other information in, but don't try and put it all in one document because people are not going to read it. And they're going to sign the yeah, bottom of it don't. without having any understanding of, of what's gone into it. Um for a long time, the safety industry has been trying to get, not not paperless, but trying to get it to a point where things are, as you say, concise and to the point, but there's still a lot of emphasis on that, what the paperwork looks like rather than what it looks like in practice. And I think that that is the biggest thing I'd like to see changed on, on in the, the safety industry as such, is that we've got more emphasis on making sure the guys are safe than writing about how they will be safe. Yeah, that's a really good, I think that's a good way to sum it up actually, is, mate, is actually, and I would agree with that, is actually making sure people are on site physically undertaking the activity, say, not just yeah. that you've got a nice little tick in a box in a drop down sheet, and whether that's on a exactly. piece of paper, or whether that's on a computer based software portal, 
it doesn't matter. It's not about that ticking the box. It's about keeping the guy who's actually got a hammer in yeah. his hand or a screwdriver or, or you know, or he's on a 360 doing some street work. It doesn't matter. It's about keeping I mean, those guys out, out on site safe. I think people forget that actually they're equally as responsible for their own health and safety as are their employer. Yeah. I mean, I was having yeah. this conversation with someone with an interview with a professional builder last week and, and she, said, she was talking about legislation. I said, but... But the thing that's forgotten is it's called the Health and Safety at Work Act. And there's a reason that health comes before safety. And yeah. she was like, oh, okay, yeah, I have not thought of that. <laughs> but but people don't, you know, and employees have just as big a responsibility as employers for people's safety and for their own safety. Absolutely. Um, the, the, the difference in a lot of ways with that is that, in theory, the employer should have had more of a handle on, as you say, the legislation behind it. Whereas, and they need to make sure that there is an understanding of what the employee needs to do. But the employee then, once they know, has that duty to ensure that they follow. And and, and they, they all know that if there's a leading edge, you're supposed to do something about it or not work in that area or get it sealed off. But because, again, there's that, I want to earn money, my company needs to earn money, We'll just carry on until someone stops us. Seems, seems to be a lot of the attitude out there, and that needs. Yeah, I think to be... there's a lot of complacency. I think, and I think part of that probably is the fact that the industry is so safe. You know, I can't remember what the stats yeah. were for last year, but every year it gets safer and safer, and and that I think does kind of breed a culture of well, actually, well, almost like people think they're invincible. I mean, some of the stupid things that you see people do, and like you just think, what what part of you thought that that was actually safe? <laughs> You know, like yeah. open trenches, like four metres deep, and somebody in the bottom of it putting like a water main in it. And you think, why? You know, one, there's machines okay. that exist that you, you don't even need to go down there exactly. to eliminate the risk to start with. And secondly, use a trench box. It's not rocket science. Well, I mean, I saw one the other week where someone had used a trench box. They'd, they'd put the trench box down. It was, it was about what you said, roughly a four metre deep trench. Um, they'd done a slight overdig to the box so that they could slide it in and around as they were doing it, obviously. So then they decided to start putting the pipes in. So the, the guy in the trench box, instead of coming out, decided to walk into the open section of the trench that didn't have a box in it so the pipes could be placed in the box. You know? And you think... Yeah. You just you can't... Help the trouble of putting the protection in and then you yeah. walk outside the protection. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just... Some of the stuff is crazy. Yeah. But, uh, don't it's yeah. just yeah it's funny listen thank i know you're really busy and you need to shoot off i just want to say thank you ever so much for your time this morning it's been really useful um no you're always welcome you know that um but um yeah thank you for your time and um, we'll catch up soon cheers richard thanks very much cheers chris cheers mate bye-bye thanks for listening the On The Block podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. To find out more about the work that Richard does, please visit his website, www.stonecontracts.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy his show. Thanks for listening and see you soon on The Block.